When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome to the Blagrana Show. My name is Josh. We are joined by Barcelona attendee. He's at every match, regardless of what happens. Emil Avanesi and Emil, how are we doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. So you were at the Barca for many match yesterday. A, uh, I was. You know, another super close uh, quarterfinal matchup for Barcelona in the Champions League, six one mm-hmm. over Roma on aggregates. Uh, what was like? What was the vibe of the match going in? Like, what, did, was everyone excited? Was everyone mm-hmm. expecting a blowout? Kind of what? What was the feel? Well, I mean, everyone was excited. I think everything surrounding, like, you know, I mean, everyone is excited everyone who goes to these matches is just excited to watch this team. And, you know, I mean, the, there is just such a, an overwhelming sense of positivity around the fan base in this team. I think partly because, I mean, obviously the, the results warranted, I mean, literally two champions league finals against Leon, notwithstanding. I mean, there's literally been not, or no reason whatsoever to not, you know, just love rooting for this team. But then it's also just the, just the vibe coming off of the players and just how much they seem to be enjoying the process just in general of playing. Um, I mean, the, the one thing was, you know, they were coming off of, and this sounds ridiculous, but they were coming off of back-to-back one nil wins, which, I mean, they hadn't had a one nil win since like in over a year, I think in like 14 months. They just and, wanted to see what it was like to be uh, to be a Chavi team and win one nil by the skin of your teeth. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, the thing is, the the first leg against Roma, they actually looked more dangerous than they did against Real Madrid in the league. The the other one nil. Um, you know, I mean, they had something like I, I wrote about this um, recently, and they had something like seven legitimately good opportunities in the first half before they scored. And then they had another, you know, five or so in the first 20 minutes of the second half. They, I mean, effectively, they did everything but score the goals. Except, but then they got really put under pressure in the last 20 minutes by Roma. So, I mean, I think there was, and there was a sense that this is the better team. It should win. It should actually be fairly straightforward. But we also just watched a week ago as this same team frustrated Barca and, you know, when they held them in check a little bit, we're actually able to mount a threat. So I think there was a tiny little inkling of, you know, like, could this be a flute? Like, you know, every, every Goliath eventually falls and 
sometimes it's to someone, you know, you absolutely don't expect. So there might've been a little bit of that, but no, generally, I mean, everyone just went in. It was all kind of loud cheering, singing, like the whole, the whole thing. It's just, you know, we're, we were there to witness a victory, you know? So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they play the winner of Chelsea Leon in the semifinals, correct? Yes. Yeah. The, those two play tonight at nine or, you know, three o'clock Eastern. Yeah. Three Eastern, nine central European time. Um, they, I think Chelsea, I'm, I'm looking at it now, they have a one nil aggregate lead and they are at home. Yeah. Uh, I, so from what I, you know, from what I briefly know about the Women's mm-hmm. Champions League is I feel like from what I've read, Chelsea might provide a harder matchup, but Leon provide kind of the history and sort of the uh, the allure of beating Barcelona last year, obviously. And I think either the year before or the year before that. Uh, yeah, so who, who, who is you, like, you know, you, who would you rather mm-hmm. see in the semifinals? I mean... It's really hard to say because, yeah, like Chelsea's really good. I mean, they're, you know, Sam Kerr is pretty terrifying and just Chelsea on the whole are, you know, they're an excellent team. I mean, that being said, uh, Leon is still, it looks like we talked about Leon as though they're, I don't know, somehow not the ridiculous dominant version of themselves that's won 15 of the last 16 leagues and eight champions leagues and five trebles so i mean it's you know as it stands now they are you know one point ahead of psg in their domestic league in first place and i mean they're pretty terrifying and yeah when you factor in on top of all that, the the defeat in last year's Champions League final and the defeat in the Champions League final two years before that, um, and both of those games were not particularly close. Um, I mean, I would assume... I don't know if Barca would necessarily be delighted, you know, at the prospect of Chelsea, but... Leon's had their number a little bit. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, they're, I always say it, like I described this Barca Femini team as just like, just a pack of like apex predators. So they probably want Leon and they probably want to make it as, they they probably want to put up some crooked numbers and make it just really exercise some demons. A hundred percent. I mean, that's what I want to see. Like I want to see. Yeah, I mean, that's, my, my preference is that. Yeah, because I mean like the, the Chelsea team that they took apart in the Champions League final two years ago, Chelsea's not the same team. And this isn't the same, you know, this, it's not like it's the exact same Barca team against the exact same Chelsea team. It's mm-hmm. not like you can pencil in, you know, a comfortable passage to the to the final. So, yeah, might as well just exercise your demons too. Uh, let's, let's talk about Spain. Do you want to talk about Spain for a minute? Uh, I mean, <laughs> just the most, like... Spain two matches mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It was just very reminiscent of the World Cup run where I watched that match against Norway, 64% of the possession, seven yep. shots on target. They looked so good. Balde just picks his head up, loves, yep. just loves finding guys in the box and doesn't just fire balls in. Uh yep. finds Alma for that first goal. And then uh, a couple more goals after the 80th minute. Was great, and it you know, granted, Norway didn't have Erling Holland. Norway is not 
the same level of competition apparently yeah. as Scotland. Uh, little did I know <laughs> that Scotland was going to be as good as they were. I mean, I think the the XG, despite the fact that, and let me pull up the stats here. Uh, Spain, I mean, just these are the most Spain stats I've ever read. 75% of the possession, the same oh, amount nice. of shots on target as Scotland. I think they had like 0.7 XG. Scotland maybe had like 0.8 XG. Uh, I mean, 75, this was just, this was so Spain and it's so frustrating. And I don't know what else to say. Uh, did you watch either of these matches? Uh, which one did I watch? I watched, um, I saw Norway. I saw the I saw most of the Norway match. Okay. I actually didn't see the Scotland match. I only uh, heard about it, read about it, and uh, I haven't even actually watched the highlights. And he, here's the thing: it's not like they were doing the whole possession thing, and it was nil nil. Like Scott McTominay scored after seven minutes, and they yeah. were still just. I, I don't know what it is about this team where they just have this inability. And granted, this wasn't this wasn't Spain's strongest starting eleven by any means. Like they, for some, I guess Balde, maybe they Balde sent Balde, yeah. Well, no, they sent Balde home. He wasn't even on the bench. Well, I think it was just. I mean, there there was no injury, or anything like that. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any sort of rumblings. I don't think anything is wrong. I think it no. was just he'd you know he'd put in his he'd put in his work for the international break, and I think it was just as simple as like you know just. Go home. Go go train. Go rest. Whatever. Just, that that's cool. Because yeah. I think there's, I, th I think the whole uh, club versus country debate, just you know, where managers are, club managers are just frequently just pissed that all their best players, you know, go on international duty, and you know whether they get hurt or they're just more fatigued when they come back, and this and that. I mean, I feel like. More than anything, I mean, this is honestly probably just like an olive branch or something from the, you know, from the federation, from the national team to, you know, to Barca. And, you know, probably maybe similar things will happen with other players from big teams, but just, you know, like, okay, we're, we're going to, we're going to call these guys up for international duty. We're going to ask them to play, but we're not going to absolutely run them into the ground and, you know, strip all the tread off the tires. I guess like they didn't start Gavi. Uh, Alvaro Morata didn't even get in the match, despite the fact they were like. And I understand they're they're looking at their group. You know, they're saying, "Okay, we lost to Scotland, but the rest of the group, Georgia, Cyprus, we already beat Norway. Like, we're probably fine." Yeah, I. It's still I don't know. It's kind of mind boggling to me. Like they're, it, it's just frustrating to watch them because. Like Nico Williams comes on as a substitute. They just like, I don't know. I don't. I don't even really have words for it. It's just they're frustrating. Well, so frustrating. A, I mean, it's they. They strike me as just you know, it's a it's a classic team of players that we recognize and recognize as being talented. But I mean, I don't know exactly what they are. I mean, and you can even go back to the. Uh, well, and I know um, in the. In the Euros, the uh, whenever that was, I guess twenty twenty one or you know whenever they had that, but yeah, I know they made a run there, but I'm like, there's no sense of inevitable success about this Spain team. I mean, they're just they're very talented. Um, they're they're big names from big clubs, and they are yeah, they're individually very talented, and they're 
you know, many of them very good for their clubs. But I mean, I don't know what this team is. I I do know over 10 match days and these Euro qualifiers, which by the way, it, we've talked a lot about like not load management, but like the amount these, it's kind of insane that they're already doing Euro qualifiers four months after the World Cup, isn't it? Like that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's, you know, the the November World Cup, you know, obviously yeah. accelerated this, but no, I mean, it's everybody rather than, I mean, no one wants to give, whether it's FIFA or UEFA, and no one wants to sacrifice a match or, you know, the any television inventory that they get to sell and this and that. So, yeah, in a really sort of twisted way, they both seem to be trying to outdo one another with how much, rather than kind of try to win any hearts and minds or win any favor by actually addressing the problem of, you know, again, running these players into the ground. They both just seem determined on winning by, I don't know, somehow like being more than the other one, just, you know, like having a a more packed calendar and just, you know, this constant attempt to be more relevant than the other, which, I mean, it's, it's stupid. It just gets players hurt and, or they're tired. I mean, by the time you get to the champions league semifinal or final, I mean, even the guys who are notionally healthy have so much, like so much mileage on them from that particular season. And, you know, never mind that the accumulation of every summer tour or summer tournament or, you know, international friendly where they have to fly to like, you know, Korea or Dubai or Saudi Arabia to, to play. And so, I mean, I guess it's, it's annoying, but it's, I mean, I, 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 I say that, but I was still, I was still glued to my TV. So, <laughs> well, I mean, and I mean, I, I will admit, I am not, um, I'm not an international football, like, like a huge fan of it. I mean, I'll watch it when it's on, and you know, I mean, obviously the World Cup, and my favorite international tournament is actually the Copa America. I thought you were going to say the Nations League. No, that there's no reason for that to exist. Which, by the um, way, that is Spain's next match in June is the Nations League semifinal against Italy. <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, the Nations League is like I understand every competition starts out as nothing, and then you know whatever prestige and meaning it has is built up over time, and so I get that. But I mean, it, go back to the Copa America because I want to talk about that for a second. Why? I, um, I I would have to agree with you, and I'm curious as to why you why you like it as as the most favorite. To me, it seems like because it's the one where they care the most. So I, I think it's that. I think the the players care the most. I mean, because you see, like every time, and it's all of these like all of these nations, like the the Argentinian guys who go back and you know play for Argentina, and the you know the the Brazilians who are playing in the yellow shirt, and you know you see Chile and everything. So the I think the players care the most. Um, like the fans absolutely care the most. Um, I mean, admittedly, I, I haven't watched a lot of uh, like Africa Cup of Nations or anything, so I don't know how that stacks up. But I mean, the South American fans are off the charts, and particularly when playing other South American teams with any kind of stakes. And and what I love too is it's the same field all the time. It's not like Euro qualifiers where, you know, you're going to get like, whatever, there's a Montenegro one time and then, you know, whatever, 
like it's the same it's the the whole kind of familiarity breeds contempt kind of thing so they all they know they have to play each other and i love the uh depending on where it's held you know like well, it's it's, like held, it's little, being held held in the united states this time I know, and like, and they did that like eight years ago or something. Like, it wasn't that long, ago, or maybe ten years ago, something like that. Um, but I mean, particularly in, when it's in South America, though. Like, uh, one of my favorite things, even, and I love. Interestingly, I like South American World Cup qualifying too, because, like, in particular, for instance, Bolivia is never good, right? But anytime a team has to go to La Paz and play in the just asinine like altitude it's just it's the great equalizer like there there's more kind of rough edges and imperfections and but again like familiarity of the field and things like that um that i just really enjoy about south american international football that i just really like i can't get that pumped up to watch like i don't know like austria ireland or something like i mean i just like I said, if it's on, I'll watch it, but I don't deeply care. All right, let's talk about Barcelona. Uh, <laughs> the men's team returns this weekend, uh, and then we have a Clasico about six days away. Uh, the match this weekend yeah. is against Elche on Saturday. Real Madrid plays Sunday. Just, again, great luck for us. It seems like every time we play them recently, they have more tired legs than we do, which is nice. Uh, yes. And then next Wednesday at home, uh, Barcelona hosts them in the second leg of the Copa del Rey. They lead one nil yep. on aggregates. They are filled with injuries and players like Eric Garcia and Ansu Fati, all, all the guys relegated to completes, uh, just sitting on the bench are going to probably be back in the fold for the next few games. How are you feeling about Barcelona coming off the international break? Giant gap in the Liga, totally insurmountable gap for sure. And full of injuries. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to, as long as, uh, like, I don't want to play kind of chicken little and be like, oh, I don't I don't want to declare the league over. But I mean, I, I do want to stop short of, you know, absolutely declaring it over. But yeah, I mean, the team, even a, a lesser version of itself, isn't going to drop an average of one point per match against Real Madrid the rest of the way. Um so, I mean, I think, uh, look, Elche in last place and pretty hapless. Um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, like they're, they have I mean, they're not officially down. Goals. But... They are the worst attacking team in the Liga, scoring 19 goals this year. And they are the well, worst they're in last place team. on They're in last place on 13 points and 19th, uh, 19th place, Almeria, who are tied with Valencia. They both have 26. So I mean they're down they're they're gone they're um, they're down bad yeah so they don't yeah they don't pose an attacking threat and they're all but relegated already and so they love great... getting red cards do you want to guess so in their last one two three five let's just say two four six eight ten twelve fourteen <laughs> in their last fourteen matches how many matches do you think they have a red card in wow um, say like nine. Okay, well, that's a little much. No, six. Six of 14. Oh, they have I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> when you started, I was like, for a second, I thought you were going to say, like, they have, you know, it's been like eight straight matches. With it. It's kind of crazy, though. In Barcelona's last match against them in September, they also got a red card, and Barcelona's 3 0. Oh, I was actually at that match. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember that. 
So we're, we're feeling good, right? Like there, there's a chance of the double. The only thing that could splash water on this season, even if they don't win the double, if they just win the league, is if Real Madrid managed to win the Champions League and could hold that over our heads. But let's just assume that doesn't happen, that they can't pull off miracles two years in a row. Winning the league would be awesome. Even the Copa del Rey, if that happens too, that would be great. But we're feeling yeah. good, right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, like if you go back, it's I guess it's been a little bit more than a, a year now, a year ago at this time. Like Xavi was in place and you know the the vibes were if not ideal at least dramatically better than you know during the end of the the Kuman era but you know what was it 15 months ago maybe 16 months ago i mean if you had if you had said that barca will have will be able to sign talented new players and you know those guys some of them will be playing extremely well and you'll be essentially cruising towards a league title and you know have a lead over Real Madrid at the you know halfway through the semifinals of the Copa del Rey I mean I wouldn't have believed it so yeah it's look I think the I think the problem is too that it's yeah Madrid they won the Champions League again last year um and ultimately it does come back to I don't even know if right now fans are I know the talk out of the club and, you know, whatever, you go online and read enough of sort of Barca Twitter. Uh, I think you get a skewed vision of what people actually, you know, what sort of the rank and file man on the street fan actually thinks. Uh, I don't know that the, maybe not the objective, whatever. I don't know that the realistic expectation is for this team to win the Champions League or make it to the final or anything like that. Um, but the problem is, I believe, I think their last six, is it six? Or last five European tournaments of any kind, each one has ended earlier than the one before it. So it was, you know, there was the, there was the, the meltdown at Anfield. After that, it was the... Um, why are you doing this to everybody? I know, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, there was that. Then there was, you know, eight two against Bayern where Coutinho scored two. And then <laughs> round of sixteen, you lose to PSG. In the last few years, we've been doing this whole Europa thing. And um you get to the what is it? Yeah, it was the quarters against Eintracht Frankfurt, and then you know, 40% of the Camp Nou crowd is German, and then this year's, I mean, this year's Man United uh, exit is sort of the the least traumatizing one that Barca have had in half a decade. All right. Well, that and preceding the Liverpool one was the one against Roma. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. Let's talk about uh, yeah, Gavi. So I, think my, so I guess like my, my point is that I think the problem is that while Madrid are winning Champions Leagues, like, I think everyone just wants like a, a good something to sort of hang our hats on rather than just a, a regular, you know, a constant lowering of the bar. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> if you had to put a percentage on it, my percentage would be 3%. What's okay. the percentage that Gavi leaves this summer? <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, yeah, low. Two, okay, cool. One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's worth asking. There's clubs with money out there. Gavi's an influential kid. You know, 
if he feels like he's being treated poorly, which I don't think he is. We'll, we'll find I don't, out. No, no, no. I, I mean, he he strikes me as very much one of those like he he's he he does strike me as a sort of you know bleed for the badge type. Because I mean, I, I keep thinking about the um, which match was it? Was it the first? Uh, I think it was the first leg of the Copa del Rey against Madrid, where like twice he. Gen- he genuinely looked like he was trying to get kicked in the head the way he was sticking his head in for to various places. And so um, as much as I don't want to see him doing that, like, I think like, he's just, I think he's about that. Like, I think he's the classic kind of, you know, Spanish kid who wants, you know, he's, he's come up through the system. He's been around this thing. He's dreamed of playing for Barca. His, and I mean, I think his whole thing is he wants to be here. Uh, what if they're literally too dumb to figure out the finances in order to register him and pay him? I mean, would you be shocked though, if it was like July and we were like, he's still not registered. They don't know what's happening. They don't, uh, they can't seem to get him in with a, like, I wouldn't be shocked. I know, but I'm, I'm definitely hoping that this isn't the case. It's <laughs> but, not. It was worth asking, though. Here, Here's what is probably going to happen, though. It seems like Laporta realizes he's the one who has to initiate contact with Messi, and it feels like that's going to happen, and then it feels like it's not going to happen because they can't figure out the finances to bring him back. That's the way this kind of, like, the, the kind of the groundswell is that I'm feeling, right? Like, they're not going to be able to get the finances in order to be able to present him any sort of solid offer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you would. Um, look, I know there's the recently had a conversation and so on. So the the two biggest, I guess, um, kind of beasts on the and there's probably three. Uh, the three biggest sort of beasts on the wage sheet are, you know, Frankie De Young gets, you know, it's like the old, and none of this is actually meant as anything against the players themselves. I mean someone offers you this kind of money, you absolutely take it. Yeah. But like Frankie de Young's on something like 37 million a year. I think Busquets is on 30, isn't he? Yeah. Busquets is in the thirties as well. I mean, I think he's right around, I think he's actually right around that, uh, de Young number. And even I say like Jordi Alba, who's, I mean, I think he's like 20, 21, something like that. But, and you know, when he's, when he's on your starting back line, that's an overpay, but that's fine. I suppose. But when you just when he's just so clearly not a part of the plan, uh, and and the team is up against it so badly financially, it's it's tough to it's tough to look at that and not kind of just yeah. You know, so sort of, I don't know. <laughs> um. All right, everybody, you've listened to the soccer, the football portion of the podcast. Uh, that's done now. We're going to talk about the NBA. So tune out if you don't want to hear about the NBA. But uh, I know Emil is a diehard. Is diehard a fair word, Laker fan? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. I cool. mean, since, yeah, like since the mid 80s. Have you fooled yourself into thinking that they're actually like competent and can do anything in the playoffs? Okay, if this makes sense, <laughs> I'm going to say I have not, um, I have seen solid bursts of uh by the way i just saw i I missed yesterday that apparently drew holiday scored 51 points yeah and Giannis had 38 yeah with a triple load 38 17 and 12 not bad 
<laughs> so, um, so to answer your actual question, um, I've seen more. I mean, obviously, since the trade deadline, the Lakers have shown way more competence. And I mean, they just look more like an actual, like a coherent team with depth and a variety of types of players, including ones that shoot and, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I feel better about the team, obviously, now than I did then. I feel like they could make a little bit of a run as much for their competence as I do because at the top of the West, I mean, I think it's easy to poke holes in the case for any of the presumptive top four. Because, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, as it stands now, you have Denver who, I mean, I do think they're legitimately, I do think they're legitimately very, very good. And um, I wouldn't be dying to play them. But, you know, I mean, I just, even given um, given Jamal Murray's recent struggles, uh, given the fact that, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is still not anyone's idea of a defensive player. Um, and, you know, and I mean, I think Jokic is spectacularly great, but he's not the type who's going to, score 40, 50, you know, once or twice in a series to absolutely drag a team through. Um, he's just so consistently excellent. But I think if the if the pieces around him slow down enough, and it's happened in playoffs past. And I know last year didn't, you know, didn't really count because they weren't, you know, what he did was remarkable. And then, you know, I mean, you look at the Memphis, I mean, your guess is as good as mine on to what state they're in uh, at their best Sure, but Steven Adams is out and uh, Brandon Clark is out. So they're thin up front. Sacramento has yet to play defense this season. You know, uh, I love this. Phoenix sold the farm for Durant. I mean, I can absolutely construct a case. <laughs> I can tell you, you've clearly thought this through, and this is hilarious. Uh, Look, as it stands now, the Lakers are all of two and a half games behind Phoenix for the number four seed. That's pretty crazy. Not saying it will happen, but they do play them a couple of times coming up. Uh, Phoenix, of course, Kevin Durant finally made his. I'm actually shocked that Kevin Durant came back this quick. I am. I. It sounded really bad. You and I were actually talking when he got hurt. Yeah. I think it was the. I think the last time we recorded was uh, the day after he got hurt. And yeah, I did not have. I mean, I'm glad he's back. Like you obviously like don't want him to be. Yeah, because there's a chance. of a Suns Warriors four five matchup, which oh please, I would, I would, mm-hmm. I would absolutely love to see Kevin oh. Durant against the Warriors. That would be fantastic. So I will just say that as I'm looking at the Lakers schedule, I mean, it's a four game road trip: Minnesota, Houston. I mean, a three game home trip really: Minnesota, Houston, Utah, but then like at the Clippers, so in their home arena. And then close out at home against the Suns and the Jazz. Do you know who Mike like, and the yeah. Mad Dog are? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm yeah. going to go through. So one of their old bits was that's a win, that's a loss. I'm going to go through for you. Yeah. Uh, Lakers, Timberwolves, uh, that's a win, dog. Uh, Lakers, Rockets, that's a win. Lakers, Jazz, that's a loss. Lakers, Clippers, that's a loss. Lakers, Suns, that's a loss. Lakers, Jazz, I think that's a loss. I'm going to be honest with you. This doesn't look good. I, Wait, you think Lakers are going to lose... 
Look, the the Jazz are the Jazz are done now. Are they? I thought they're, they were still. Yeah, in. they're twelfth. Yeah, they're down to twelfth. Oh, well, no, I mean they're still they're a game and a half back. I don't know. I uh, more <laughs> so say that in jest. I want to hear. Oh, okay, yeah. so uh, that, that's mm-hmm. in a talk for an eight seed that's going to get bounced four one in the first round. <laughs> let's talk about well, a, will... Let's talk about a real dumpster fire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Dallas Mavericks. So this oh, is obviously the most interesting story in the NBA right now mm-hmm. because. It's interesting for a couple of reasons, right? It's interesting because even though I don't think Kyrie Irving's the like the reason they're losing, uh, it's just funny the fact that he joins them and start losing. But they still don't have any defensive structure whatsoever. They they can't play defense, so he wasn't solving any sort of problem for them. But it's still just no. hilarious that he joins and they start losing. Yeah, because they, they weren't great defensively before they got rid of Dorian Finney-Smith, who's I mean he's whatever he's decent, like he's a solid defender on a team that is. Just desperately short on this. This opens up uh, unhappy Luca, though, right? <laughs> like, if you don't make the playoffs after going to the Western Conference Finals last year, uh, I, I, I just want all the chaos in the world. And this feels like it opens the door for that, right? I mean, it does. the The only thing is, he's you know, obviously, he's a shoe in to make All NBA again. Like, he's so he's going to get that, you know, the the stupid the supermax that they put into the. CBA to allow teams to keep their guys. Like, I mean, so Dallas is going to be able to offer him more money than anyone else. Um, my assumption is, uh, I don't know where he is exactly on his, uh, on his contracts. Yeah. I'm just, I want to say he has a few more years. Yeah, he signed us. He signed a five year. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Contract. So he has a player option in twenty six, twenty seven. That so, doesn't stop anyone. He could easily get traded though if he was whiny about it. I mean, he could. Um, I think the I more mean, likely would... scenario is that people join him. Right. That would probably be. Well, the you would assume, scenario. but the problem is, like, do you have to? So what do you do with Kyrie? I mean, so Kyrie's up at the end of the year. Um, you don't sign him. <laughs> well, I, I agree. But you gave up two number ones and whatever sort of, you know, halfway decent, you know, I mean, depth, role players, whatever you had on this team to bring this dude in. And after one catastrophic, you know, half season, third season, whatever, it it would be really tough to be like, to let him walk, I don't think they should sign him. I think they are going to, because I think the optics of having this move, this bold all-in gambit, goes so wrong so quickly. Um, I I feel like I I don't see Mark Cuban as someone who just kind of gracefully takes that L and acknowledges that it was a mistake and you know, says that it's time for a, you know, half decade rebuild or anything. So I think he's going to try to run it back and see where that goes. Oh, that's hilarious. I love all of it. Uh, <laughs> all I know, th- and the reason I'm mainly rooting for chaos is I'm a Pistons fan and they have the worst <laughs> record in the NBA. Like they're, they're fully in on the, you know, hoping to get a top two pick. So until the lottery comes, the only thing I'm hoping for is uh, entertainment and chaos at this point. But I will, okay, so uh, they're yeah, they're all but guaranteed. Um, let's see how have they done in their last ten. One and nine in their last ten. Like that's that's the spirit, you know. Like just yeah, 
um, it was supposed to be like a maybe we'll make the playoffs kind of year and then Kate Cunningham got hurt like immediately and they were just like ah screw it and they shut it down I was legitimately interested to watch the Pistons this season between uh, Cunningham Ivy uh, Durant yeah him (laughs) like I I I genuinely thought they could be sort of frisky Um, and even like you know because I watched them here and there last season and like I liked Sadiq Bay and you know just some of these guys I was like okay there's like there's the and they brought in Bogdanovich I was like okay there's the there's the bones of a of a you know frisky upstart team here but yeah as soon as Cunningham went down it was just yeah yeah it's been um, it's been a rough ride a lot of good stuff coming up this weekend to watch uh Celtics Bucks tonight uh tomorrow Nuggets Suns uh back to to football for the for the moment we got uh was it liverpool against city this weekend we have their classicer yeah. with uh dortmund and oh okay before we go and i've kept you way longer yeah. than i intended to uh wh- what were your thoughts when Bayern munich fired nagelsman for tuchel <laughs> um so i'm two episodes in. i just recently found on uh i don't know if they have it i don't i'm assuming they offer it in the in the u.s too but um there's like a six part, almost like all or nothing style um, docu-series on Amazon Prime here on like Bayern Munich. And yeah, just, under Hansi Flick, right? Yeah, I've watched it. Yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I, I came away both loving and somehow even more deeply hating Thomas Muller, which was just... <laughs> He's like uh, such a... And I don't swear on this podcast. He is, he is just the best and the worst. <laughs> I mean, he really is, but like, I mean, he talks pretty openly about, but it's just his style of arrogance. I love, and I mean, I guess a lot of it is pretty earned, you know? I mean, he's, he's made it to Byron. They've won literally everything there is to win. And, you know, and he's not bashful about letting everyone know that, that they've won. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, Absolutely infuriating, but in in a weird way, like seeing him behind the scenes was uh, was oddly endearing. But um, look, the way they talk about it, and you know, I know some some clubs or even just professional teams love to aggrandize themselves as being, you know, this is the real big leagues, and you know, you, you've never known pressure until you know it's whatever. It's the Yankees. It's the the Boston media loves to pat themselves on the back for emotionally abusing people. Um, you know, like uh, who else you got? I mean, I don't think there's I don't think there's a standout case necessarily in the NBA right now, but um, but these types of things where you know they're like, oh, this is this is the real cauldron. This is you know you you see what you're made of here as friendly of a face as all the, all the Bayern types, you know, the players all the way up to, to Oliver Kahn and everyone else as friendly of a face as they all put on. I mean, the way Bayern do this stuff, like they really have very little tolerance for anything that is not, I don't know, just, just a, a finely humming machine. You know? Yeah. It's a tough beat. Um, cool. So what are you working on right now? So actually, I just, um, I think I mentioned this piece to you last time I was on. I um, had something go up uh, late last week at Defector, largely about, this was about Barca Femini and the um, 
essentially how so much of the season has been theater and the transition from sort of theater to the, the competitive portion of the season and basically how, and this is not necessarily my, it, it's not, I'm not of this opinion, but how, you know, much of sports analysis will look at this season and say that, you know, over the, I was going to say five matches, including the quarterfinals, but, you know, over these last three matches of the champions league, uh, that will determine if this season was, you know, worth anything or not. I think that's nonsense, but you know, this is this is the only part of the season where there's any real peril for them. And uh, I kind of wrote about that. Uh, nice. The great is, thing is, is, is that the piece um, titled "Are Barcelona Femini Ready to Make the Climb?" Yes, indeed it is. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, and so. Uh, I'm actually working on a couple of other things, uh, trying to figure out. I mean, I I am tentatively working on an Alexia piece because I am firmly of the opinion, you know, she started doing something close to basically full training this past week. And I am of the opinion that she will be back for the, presumably for the home leg of the Champions League semifinal, uh, maybe for a league match or two prior to that or maybe one league match prior to that to just get her sea legs a little bit. But um, so provided, provided that happens that the, the noise of that gets a little bit louder. Uh, I'll have a, I'll have a little something on that. And yeah. And otherwise, I mean, I've just been uh, uh, just kind of doing the, doing the normal stuff. Uh, nice. But I would, I would say largely that, and I will obviously, you have the link to the defector piece and I have one or two pieces that uh, I can send you links to that were uh, that were published a couple, you know, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, everybody check out Emil. He is at Hardwood Hype and I'm going to link the piece in the description. Emil, as always, it has been a pleasure and I appreciate you joining me. Pleasure is mine, man. Thank you. 